Today on Pilgrim Radio's His People, Lisa Anderson helping single adults put Valentine's Day into perspective. Are we willing to live open-handedly in this season if we have a short season of singleness or a longer one and trust that ultimately God has our story? And so in the meantime, one of the things I often like to say is even though all of us aren't called to marriage, we are all called to relationship. And so what does it look like for us to look around us and love the people who are in our sphere and make them feel seen and known and ultimately introduce them to the Lord himself who can love them perfectly? Lisa Anderson, next. For some single adults, Valentine's Day can obviously be difficult. However, February 14th doesn't have to be a dreaded day. Lisa Anderson, director of Boundless and Young Adults at Focus on the Family, and a single adult herself, says that putting Valentine's Day in perspective can help you put your relationship status in perspective as well. She says Valentine's Day can also be a reminder to the world and to believers of the value of real love and biblical marriage. Lisa is the author of The Dating Manifesto, a drama-free plan for pursuing Doing marriage with purpose. Lisa, first tell us what you do there at Boundless. Well, primarily at Boundless, we're trying to disciple a generation. I guess it would be, you know, largely millennials, although millennials now, the older millennials are turning 40 this year. So it's not even the youngest of the young adults, but now Gen Z coming up behind them. And so our goal is to help them read the Bible and uh, learn to apply it for themselves during the week and to every sphere of life. And usually uh, we talk about that in the context of relationships faith, personal spiritual growth, serving in the church, as well as the life stuff like career finances, the culture, walking all of that out with a biblical perspective. Well, Lisa, this is uh, Valentine's Day. And for single adults, I'm thinking some of them, maybe many of them, I don't know, may may not care much about Valentine's Day or may not care much for Valentine's Day. But what thoughts would you have to help kind of put the whole thing into perspective? Yeah, it's funny because as I talk to certainly my single friends are kind of like, oh my goodness, Valentine's Day, are you serious? But honestly, Bill, I don't have many married friends that like Valentine's Day. I feel like married men, the pressure, the comparison, the commercialism around the day, you know, I kind of say, okay, you guys, remember, this is just a holiday that's largely bankrolled by Hallmark and Hershey's. So let's not let it own us and get into the depths of despair over the fact that we're not romantically attached or that, you know, we're walking through certainly post-pandemic. Many Americans are walking through uh, isolation and loneliness and feelings of, is this all that we've got? Is is it going to get any better for us? And so uh, there's a lot more, I think, that we can positively think of as we move through the day and really shift our perspective on what it means to love others. Well, what are some positive reasons to view Valentine's Day? In other words, even to, to, to celebrate it to some extent. Sure. Well, if we go back to the origins of it, it was really, I think they've decided between two and three Christian martyrs that Mm. they've given the moniker St. Valentine, 
who were known and actually in the Catholic Church, at least, earned their sainthood by their sacrifice on behalf of others. Uh, one of them was marrying uh, soldiers way back in the Middle Ages who uh, who had basically were being told they couldn't get married and he was performing secret weddings on their behalf. Um, others uh, had actually get one of them had been um, had to give his life, in fact, for a sacrifice on behalf of others in that context. And so uh, so there are some really great origins to it about what it means to selflessly love. And so I think that's something that we can all get on board with. Certainly as Christians, Bill, you know, we know that God created marriage and he ordained it and he's a big fan of it. And so I always try to encourage my single friends, don't be down on relationships or on marriage. God has meant them for most people. And so it's just a matter of, are we willing to live open-handedly in this season if we have a short season of singleness or a longer one and trust that ultimately God has our story. And so in the meantime, one of the things I often like to say is, even though all of us aren't called to marriage, we are all called to relationship. And so what does it look like for us to look around us and love the people who are in our sphere and make them feel seen and known and ultimately introduce them to the Lord himself who can love them perfectly? And in one sense, and I appreciate all of that as well, is uh, Valentine's Day perhaps a way to uh, as you say, being reminded of the relationships that we have in our lives, and even to be reminded of that whatever they are, whether they're whether we're single or whether we're married, it's good because God has created both. Sure thing. Yeah. And none of us are called to be lone rangers. And so we kind of have to evaluate that, whether that's in the context of of marriage and family or whether that's in the body of Christ and how we are interconnected. I think it is a good reminder for us to say, oh, yeah, it's not good for us to strike out on our own and think that it's just even even this uh, cultural idea in the church of Jesus and me, like, like, no, it's not just Jesus and you. There's the body of Christ. There's the church that has been created specifically for you to walk out your faith in that context. Well, I'm talking with Lisa Anderson, and she is director of Young Adults for Focus on the Family. She also hosts the podcast called The Boundless Show, and she's author of the book, The Dating Manifesto, a drama-free plan for pursuing marriage with purpose. And we're talking really about putting Valentine's Day into perspective, particularly uh, with single adults in mind. And what does the scripture say about singleness, Lisa? I mean, uh, people might tend to think, well, it's all about marriage and and, and husbands and wives, but uh, it has a lot to say about singleness, right? (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And this is where I kind of like to call out, you know, some of my married Christian friends and even some pastors and others who've kind of extrapolated what is very scripturally true about marriage and all the good things that God has created it for, um, including it being quite the picture of Jesus and his own bride, you know, the covenant relationship that he has with the church. Um, That is all good, but we have to keep in mind that is also all temporary. Um, And someday when we're all with the Lord, there will not be human marriage as we know it. Scripture says that. And so um, to to walk that out and to live that out now is, is wonderful. But also at the same time, um, we can recognize, and Paul emphasizes this several times in his letters, that really for those who can be single and for those who God has called to singleness and empowered in singleness, that is an amazing, amazing status to have as well, because we're allowed to 
love God um, wholeheartedly, to devote our time and our energies towards working out uh, acts of Christian service and service to the Lord himself and to the church. And so it doesn't mean that you white knuckle it and you just hope like, oh, well, maybe God will just get me through. It means that he has specially graced and gifted you to be in that season. And so it doesn't mean that it'll be forever. Some know that they're called to singleness and that's great. And uh, they're going to work that out. In fact, some, I know some single missionaries specifically called to very difficult fields where they know that if they brought uh, a spouse and children into that context, it could be dangerous. And they just know God has called me to singleness and I have the freedom and the ability to do that. And so it's not really a better than or less than it's a both. And in that there are great things and hard things about singleness that when you get married, you're going to trade for some great things and hard things about marriage. So there's no uh, no superiority complex that any of us can have. Are there any keys to stewarding our singleness, whether we're young, whether we're elderly, whether we're widowed or divorced or whatever season we're in? Any thoughts? Sure. And I think some of this is we have to be very intentional about it, because in some ways, the culture has given us a pass almost by treating us even I've seen this even in the church of like what I call loosely singles at the kids table. So this idea like until you're married, you're not really mature, you're not really responsible, you're not really. And I'm like, okay, I mean, I. I'm going to tell on my sister in this one, Bill, because she's married long, you know, she's older than I am. And one time I was doing a Habitat for Humanity project with some of my single friends. And she said to me, you know, it's so great that you can do things with your youth group. And I said, well, we're all like 30. So I don't think we would really be considered in youth group. Not exactly. No. And the fact is, the converse of that is, yeah, we as singles, we're not to look at this season as one where we live selfishly or we go and we just jet off to Europe and do whatever is about us. We are all called to sacrifice and to relationship, even if we're not called to marriage. And so what does it look like for us to pour into our church, to pour into our family, to uh, pour into maybe those around us? One thing I like to do is I have several elderly lady friends that I've kind of adopted and they're just my ladies. They don't have kids in the area or grown kids. They don't look, one of them doesn't even have grandkids. And so I get to be kind of her person and make sure I include her in my life in holidays. I recognize her. I honor her. And that's just something unique that God's called me to. That's wonderful. And it's interesting to note that a large portion of the United States population today of households are headed by singles, single adult households. I think it's something like 30%. It's amazing. Yeah. Actually, among the U.S. population, 50% of adults are now single Mm. in the U.S. And so now some of them are um, single again. Some of them are single as far as marital status, but they may be living with another partner or they may be in a relationship. So it doesn't mean that they're not attached in some way, but functionally, as far as a relationship status of married or single, fully 50% of U.S. American adults at this point are single. And so I think that uh, is worth noting and it's uh, it's worth the church kind of taking notice and recognizing what does that look like in the context of ministry. Well, let me ask you that then, Lisa. What would you suggest for the church taking note of what you just said, 50% of 
adults in the United States are now single. And the statistic uh, that I saw, 30% of households are headed by single mm-hmm. adults. I mean, it's a large number of our population. What would you like to see the church do or think about in response to such a large uh, number of single adults in our midst? I think there are a couple things. I mean, I think largely where we have seen in the last few decades, most churches are programmed for families. And I think it would maybe help to reframe that and look at that a little bit differently. I think what we're noticing now, and certainly what I feel is scriptural, is to look at, uh, rather than an age and stage-based ministry model, to look cross-generationally and realize, like, what does it look like for generations to benefit from one another, to serve one another, to serve alongside one another in the church? Um, Practically speaking, even like pastors or staff members, maybe think about how you use illustrations in your sermons, in your, you know, if they're not all about your kids or about your family, that's going to really invite and include a lot more singles in your midst. Also, maybe uh, the way that you program certain church events. And then two, invite the singles into service and leadership positions within the church. I often say to my young adult listeners, hey, if you're a CPA and you're not serving on your church finance committee, you're probably missing out on an opportunity to serve and invest in the life of your local church. And so we all need to be using our talents and our gifts in a way that is going to benefit the body and and just being sensitive to one another, to have conversations, to not attract. It's so hard, Bill, because like attracts like, Mm -hmm. you know, we hang out with people who are like us. And so, but we got to make an intentional effort to be like, I want to get to know them. And I'd like love to invite them over because I think of my young mom friends, I'm like, they don't want to sit around talking about diapers and sippy cups all day. <laughs> I mean, they would love to be recognized as a human being who is something more than just, you know, putting meals on the table and loading the dishwasher. So we can all do our part in that. Well, it's interesting to know, too, that we haven't mentioned it at this point, but just to look at the, uh, the major personalities, figures in the Bible who were single. <laughs> Like Jesus? For example, (laughs) yes. Yeah, there is Jesus. Yeah, the great example. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, such such was the case, including, you know, we know not all of the disciples were single, but we know that Jesus was. We know that Paul was. We know that, you know, and again, it's it's walking that out and recognizing. I mean, I've often said that to folks because they've said, well, you know, I I think people who are married, even my own sisters, you know, they they kind of want me to be like them because they feel like I'm more relatable and stuff. And I'm like, look, I've never felt specifically called to singleness, but it's where God has me now. And, you know, if it was good enough for Jesus, I guess I need to be faithful (laughs) and just be willing to wait and see what God has for me and, and, you know, walk it out right where I am. Well, Lisa, I'd like to ask you a little bit about your book, and I realize you wrote it in 2015. The book is The Dating Manifesto, A Drama-Free Plan for Pursuing Marriage with Purpose. And uh, I'm wondering if you can uh, tell us, well, first of all, what are some of the main reasons that you that you wrote the book, and and what does it mean to pursue marriage? I think that that's a phrase we don't too often hear. Sure. Yeah. Well, I think my primary reason for writing it is I felt like I had um, growing up in the public schools in California is where I was. I heard a lot of messages, and most of them were around 
girl, you just do you, you go out, you get an education, you become successful, you do what you need to do. And then in the future, maybe on your terms and your timetable, you can tack on this thing called marriage. Yep. Um, but then on the converse, I kind of got crickets from the church. They weren't telling me a different narrative. And so for me, meanwhile, I walked through my 20s, just kind of doing my own thing. And then my 30s, I was like, wait a minute, I thought I'd be married by now. And so I decided to pen the book really as the advice that I wish I would have received in my 20s, but I didn't get it from anywhere or at least anywhere uh, that was a valuable biblical source. And so it kind of walks through what it looks like to date biblically. Uh, the whole pursue aspect of it is really you know, there's a there's a both and in this. We have to trust God with our stories. We know that God has to orchestrate our stories. We can't force ourselves into a healthy biblical relationship. We can't tell God that we're going to get married and make it make him make it happen. But at the same time, there's some effort and some intention that we put into the process. If we're just going to sit around in our apartments eating a pint of ice cream and, you know, watching Netflix, yeah. well, you know, your, your marriage prospects are going to be pretty slim. And so God wants us to be intentional. You know, we know for men in particular, Proverbs 18, 22 says, he who finds a wife finds what is good and finds favor with the Lord. Not he who sits around playing call of duty and assumes that, you know, she's going to come with a pizza in hand for him. So we have to uh, <laughs> be mature and be intentional in the process. Process, and then also uh, trust that God will work out his good plan and purposes for us. So often in life, it's God is sovereign, God is uh, in control, and yet at the same time, he's given us opportunities to choose and to decide what we're going to do. And uh, we, we have to trust him and move forward. That's what you're saying. Absolutely. How would you suggest, uh, Lisa, and I realize there's a whole book to read here, and you, there's a lot of humor that you have in the book, and, and I, I, I don't know if I can bring that out necessarily. <laughs> Maybe you can. But how does someone start dating? I mean, whether they're young, whether they're older, whether they're a widow, widower, divorcee, what have you, but what are some thoughts on, in terms of this dating manifesto on, on starting, on beginning? Yeah, sure. Well, I think the first thing is having this mindset of like, am I dating? And I think it's funny because it's something that's often overlooked of what is the purpose of dating? And it really is to find a suitable marriage partner. So we've kind of, you know, devolved dating into this just hanging out or stuff that's very undefined in the world. You know, we see friends with benefits. We see people hooking up. Um, and so in a Christian context, it really is, if you want to find the person that God has for you, if in fact he wants you to move towards marriage, we have to put some prayer and some thought and some intention into it. And so am I going to move towards marriage in this? And am I in a position to marry so that if I find the right person, I can kind of be in that space? And so kind of getting that mindset. And then secondly, getting a team around you that's going to help move you towards that goal. So dating should never be done in isolation. It mm. shouldn't be just you staring into the eyes of someone else and getting lost in that person. Because again, this person is not your savior, only Jesus is. And so realizing that you might need to get some good trusted mentors 
peers and friends on your side to give objective eyes to this relationship, help you identify any red flags in it, uh, help be in community as you date so that you can uh, certainly put up uh, correct boundaries, correct parameters for how this should look. And then actually, as far as making it happen, it sounds so simple, but it's so hard. You have to put your cards on the table and take a risk and decide that there's someone out there that you want to get to know. And you just have to ask them and say, and I always say, this is where guys, you know, freak out because I think it is still good in a, in a context, especially of Christian dating for guys, you know, to make that first move to show that they're going to show care for the woman by being the one who asks, the one who pays. It just, I mean, in addition to being chivalrous, it's going to set you apart from about 85% of the guys out there. So it's just a, hmm. a win-win on that front. But in doing that, you know, you're going to call it a date because what you want to do is eliminate the ambiguity around relationships. There's so much like, well, I don't really know where we stand. I don't know. Is this a date? Did he actually ask me out? And it just drives women bananas when they don't know where they stand. <laughs> so guys, you're just saying to her, you know, hey, I'd be interested in getting to know you better. Would you be willing to do dinner with me or coffee with me, whatever? And I would just love to, to get to know you a little bit more. And then from there, you, you have different checkpoints throughout the relationship where you're checking in and you're defining it and you're saying, okay, now are we going to continue dating? Now is this going to become exclusive? Now is, is this someone that I actually might move towards engagement you know, with? And so you got to have those checkpoints and make, make sure that both people are on the same page throughout the relationship. Well, Lisa, what about the whole online world? Uh, I, mm -hmm. I mean, that's huge today, 2023. We all know. Uh, couples, maybe multiple ones that, that met their spouse on Christian Mingle or uh, eHarmony.com or whatever the case is. W mm -hmm. What about that? And it's so funny because I have so many uh, Christian young adults and singles who who approach, you know, online dating with trepidation because they're wondering, like, is this even biblical? Like, mm. shouldn't God tell me who I'm supposed to marry? And I'm like, look, it's all the way you approach it. I'm fine with online dating. I think it's a tool, but you have to use it as a tool. So what it is not is it's not a place to sit and ping 30 different women and get into these go nowhere pen pal relationships that you're never moving the ball down the field. Mm -hmm. Okay. So what it is, is it's an opportunity. I like to call it online meeting because you're going to meet some people. You're going to be connected to some people. And hopefully that when you form your profile online, you're going to be very honest about where you stand faith-wise. So you're cutting out the clutter. There's no reason to be talking indefinitely to people that don't share your values. So you're going to pretty much be clear on that. And then you're going to, as, as soon as you can, you're going to move this thing into real time and real space. Because if you don't, you're just going to be paying a monthly fee to yeah. email someone and like, what is the point? Right. So again, <laughs> again, moving into real time and real space. And just as I said before, Bill, you have to have those people. You don't jettison your team just because you're doing online dating. They should know who you're talking to online. They should know the amount of time you're spending online. And they should be the ones encouraging you to say, okay, when are you moving this into a, a coffee shop or when are you going to start taking this to the next level so we can see if there's something there? Well, I know I have to let you go in just a minute, Lisa, but uh, one chapter uh, in your book uh, caught my attention, a number of them did, but is, are you marriageable? Uh, uh, <laughs> how do you know? 
<laughs> exactly. So I know, and this is a little bit um, dicey for me to talk about because I'm still single. So am I not marriageable? Who knows? Um, no, here's here's what I'm talking about there. And it is so many people will, and it doesn't mean like when you get spiritually mature enough or relationally mature enough, or when you have arrived, then God's going to reward you with a spouse. We all know that there are plenty of unhealthy people that get married every day, Bill. Yeah. Right. So, and somehow by the grace of God, they end up making it work. But the fact is, um, to be marriageable, you have to have a couple things in place, and that your chances of success at a great uh, of a great relationship are going to be enhanced by having these things in place. So here, there are just a few things that you need to know about a person to know. Yeah. Okay. What does this look like? So, um, really, it comes down to. Are you a person who is a disciple of Jesus Christ? And this does not mean you have to understand what does it mean to be a Christian? Mm -hmm. Okay. It's not, I grew up in Texas. <laughs> it's not, I retweet Francis Chan once in a while. So I must be a Christian. Yeah. It's not, this is a person who is pursuing hard after Christ and is being discipled by his word and in Christian community. Secondly, uh, to be marriageable, are you dealing with the hard stuff of life in a way that is healthy and is going to make you a healthy person moving into marriage? So have you addressed past baggage in your life, whether that's relationally, it might be stuff from your family of origin. It might be, uh, you know, it might be general issues of addictive uh, and addictive nature or whatever. All of that needs to be brought under the Lordship of Christ and needs to be handled preferably prior to walking into marriage, because you're going to have your own unique challenges then. So all of that comes into play as well. And then finally, I like to say, you know, are you a grown up? So, you know, mm. grown ups should marry grown ups. Okay. So this is like, do you have a job? Um, are you taking ownership of the responsibilities in your life? And are you walking those out? Do you own your own stuff, your own mistakes? Are you a person who is humble and teachable and you repent uh, easily in a situation? So being that person who's marriageable is that person who's willing to take a hard look at themselves and allow others to speak into their life as well, because that's only going to bring growth. Well, Lisa, thank you for joining us uh, on this Valentine's Day. Last words of encouragement for single adults. For sure. I want you all to know out there, if you are single, that again, remember, you are not defined by how you are performing or what you are doing or what you are earning or who you know, or who you love or who loves you. You are defined by a God who has hand plucked you out of your own sin and has chosen you to be his child. And remember, Marriage is not forever. Marriage is a season. I was telling Bill that before. You know, this is not the be-all defining moment of your life. Um, God has good things for you, whether you are single now for a short season, for a long season. You trust him with your future, and you know that he is both all-powerful and all-good, and he's got good things in store for you ahead. You've been listening to His People on Pilgrim Radio. Many thanks to our guest, Lisa Anderson, director of Boundless and Young Adults at Focus on the Family and author of The Dating Manifesto, a drama-free plan for pursuing marriage with purpose. Go to boundless.org. Coming up on tomorrow's program, it's Adam Ramsey with meditations on the words of Jesus from John's Gospel. Jesus there in John 16 gives us both promises and clarity about what life 
in him is going to look like. And he acknowledges both that this life will include sorrows and troubles that will intersect our lives. Jesus is honest about suffering. And at the same time, there's also these promises that should we believe them, will actually invincibilize us to persevere through those difficult valleys that will come our way. So Jesus says things like, your sorrow will turn into joy. And that's a promise that he gives to his people. That's tomorrow at this same time, right here on His People. Thanks for listening.